0: Well, this morning we're continuing our series in 1 Corinthians, but before we get into this passage, I just want to mention that we're going to take a a slightly different approach over the next couple of weeks. Um, we were due to finish this series. We were gonna make that extend until the beginning of May. But now we're gonna finish that a few weeks early on Easter Sunday in two weeks time. And the reason that we're doing that is uh, because these are not normal times that we're living in. They're uncertain times, they're worrying times, they're times of fear and, and anxiety. And what we wanna do is is to provide you, the church, with with specific teaching for these times. Um, so you're better equipped to love your neighbours, love each other and love God in the midst of all of this. And so that probably means that today we're, we're not going to cover every detail of, of chapter 14. And then chapter 16, we're going to send out a shorter teaching on that in a separate video. Um, but we're going to finish then next Sunday on, on Palm Sunday uh, with, with the start of chapter 15 about the resurrection of Jesus. And then uh, we're going to finish up on, on Easter Sunday morning with, with this glorious hope that we have that one day we will be raised together with Christ. So let me quickly pray for us and then we'll get stuck into 1 Corinthians 14 this morning. Father, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even though this is um, uh, being videoed and recorded, that you're still speaking to your church. Thank you that your word transcends technology and time and borders and living rooms and all kinds of things, Lord. Give us ears to hear our Father's voice this morning and, and, and change us to be more like Jesus because of that. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> well I wonder if you've ever uh, been part of a, a group work project I, I don't know what that looks like for you but maybe it's something you've had to work with other people to achieve a goal and, and everyone's had their role to play in that uh, I studied engineering at university and every now and again we would have to do group work projects and I absolutely hated them uh, not because I don't like working as part of a team although maybe Haley would tell you otherwise but there's nothing wrong with working as part of the team, but there was always one person who would not do either not do any work and still expect all the credit or uh, who would just go off and do their, their own thing. And I remember this one time we were working on a group project and we all met up and agreed. There was four or five of us. We all met up and agreed that we would, uh, w- which tasks we had to do. and We would meet up after the weekend and come back and see how we were getting on. And, and this one guy came back after the weekend and he hadn't done his bit at all. He had decided that he didn't really like the task that he had been given and so he went off and and uh, designed this really lovely presentation for our work. Now presentations are good and things are it's good when things look look well right Um, but it wasn't what needed done. He was more concerned with the way things looked and trying to uh, you know make things look nice than the actual substance of what we were doing and I think there's a little bit of that going on in our passage this morning. If you haven't joined us before maybe you're tuning in for the first time we've been working our way through the book of first corinthians and in this part of the book it's actually a letter from the apostle paul to a church in corinth Uh, paul is answering questions that the corinthians have about spiritual gifts the gifts that god gives to his church now you'll probably remember if you've been with us before that over the course of chapter 12 we saw that spiritual gifts are abilities that god has given to every christian For the glory of Jesus through the building up of the church. So if you're in Jesus, if you're you're trusting in Jesus, you're in Jesus, you're part of the church, his body. And God has a role for you to play in that body. Nobody's left out, this is the amazing thing, that that everyone gets gifts, gifts, or a gift. And there's a whole range of ways that God has gifted his people, the saints. Um, so some people have the gift of hospitality some people have the gift of encouragement some people have the gift of preaching and teaching some people have the gift of uh, looking after children whatever it may be and the idea is that all these gifts are given to the church so we can build each other up and function as one family as the body of christ and there's a whole host of ways in fact there's so many gifts that there's not ever given to us in the bible one complete list of the gifts but there's two, two really important, two crucial things I want us to remember about the spiritual gifts before we go into what Paul is said in chapter 14 today. Firstly, they are gifts. So we don't deserve them and we don't earn them. And that means that we can't boast about them. So we can't show off. Um, we didn't do anything to get these abilities or these gifts. So why, how could we ever show off? They're God-given. And we can't be jealous of other people. And secondly, your gift isn't given for your benefit. Your gift is given to you so that God can use you to benefit the church. So sometimes you may hear language like, oh, I wonder what my spiritual gift is. What, what has God given to me? And maybe a better way to say that would be, in what ways has God gifted me to serve the church for the glory of Jesus? I think when we come to this conversation of what's you know, trying to figure out what, what our gifts are, That's a much healthier way of thinking about it. And that's the attitude that we are to have when we think about the church. This is why Paul goes into this whole section on the way of love. And and as Lucas taught us last week, the way of love is the excellent way. The way of love is the way that we are supposed to practice our gifts and use our gifts. And to be truly spiritual is to love others the way that God loves us. And so uh, we could say Then the spiritual gifts are tools that God gives his people to equip them to love his people. Let me say that again. Spiritual gifts are the tools that God gives his people to equip them to love his people. You see, there was a problem in the Corinthian church. The culture of that time was about power and, and position. It was also a highly superstitious and spiritual culture. And the Corinthians were letting their church be shaped by the, the culture of the world around them rather than by the way of Jesus. And so you had a lot of people trying to be the most important or the most prominent or the most powerful in the church. And they had arguments and disagreements about how, who was the most important. And because of that cultural uh, background that they existed in, They thought that the more supernatural or more mysterious or more, you know, kind of visually spectacular or whatever, those kinds of gifts were the most important ones. And so they valued the gifts of prophecy and tongues over all the other gifts. And then they actually pit those two things together. One said, well, I've got the gift of tongues, so I'm obviously more holy than you are. And then someone else said, well, I've got the gift of prophecy, so I'm obviously more holy than you are. And what was happening was that everyone was trying to speak in tongues, even though it wasn't their gift. And it's like we saw in chapter 12, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. We are one. We are a united body. We are made up of different parts, yes, but we're all equal in value, even though we have different functions within that. And the Corinthians were using their spiritual gifts, not for the benefit of the church, but for their own gain. And we may not do this by prioritizing prophecy and tongues over other gifts, but I do think that we do this, don't we? I mean, let, let's be honest with ourselves for a minute. I mean, have you ever had the thought that you want to make sure that people see you serving the church? You know, yeah, 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 I'm, gift, I'm gifted in, in, in serving the coffee. That's my area and that's my role. But I also want to make sure that people see me doing that. And I'm sure we've all had those kinds of thoughts. And we need to be careful that we are using our gifts in the way that God intends us to. And here's what we see about this in our text this morning. I think Paul is trying to drive this one lesson home throughout this text. That we must use our spiritual gifts in ways that build up the church so that God is worshipped. We must use our spiritual gifts in ways that build up the church so that God is worshipped. That's our goal. Our goal is, is that God is worshipped, that, that people are converted to worship God, that we worship God, that we encourage one another to worship God. And I think our passage shows us how to do that. But before we get into how we do that, there's a couple of things I want to clear up for us. Paul addresses this issue of misusing our spiritual gifts uh, by talking about prophecy and tongues. And the reason he does that is because those are the two gifts that, that the Corinthians are primarily concerned about. They were pitting them against each other. And so I want to define these two things for us uh, before we go any further. And and before I do that, just to be clear, I want to reiterate this again. At Village, we believe that God still gifts his people with spiritual gifts just the way he did in the early church. And so what we want to do is we want to avoid unbiblical streams on either side of this pendulum swing. We don't want to uh, be, uh, deny the spiritual gifts and, and deny that God still gifts his people because that is unbiblical. Nor do we want to go the other way where we swing too far and just overemphasize the gifts and everybody has to be speaking in tongues and everybody has to be prophesying and, and we want the spectacular all the time. We want to be biblical and, and biblically led and, and listening to God in this and what he has to say to us. We are encouraged to desire the gifts. That's what Paul says. He says in verse 1, pursue love like he's just shown us too. We saw that last week. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. But what is prophecy? I mean, if this is something we're to desire, we need to know what it is. Well, the first thing I want to say is that when Paul is talking about prophecy, he's not talking about the kind of prophecy that we see in the Old Testament. You all, as soon as you hear the word prophet, you probably conjure some old guy with a long hair and a long beard and a big stick, kind of Moses style, big robe. That's not what what Paul is talking about here. Those prophets, just like the apostles in the New Testament, they were given special authority and special power, special anointing. Uh, They were essentially the foundation of the church. They were to bring the word of God to the the people of God. And so when we prophesy, it's similar in some ways, but it's not the same. We are not writing scripture. And what we see in the New Testament as prophecy functions in the church is that it's a gift that strengthens the church and is accessible to and available to its members. And if, if, it's, if it's for the church and it's accessible to the church members, then it's not some special position of authority. One good definition Uh, I came across this week was from Michael Green and he says this, I think this is is spot on. He says, Prophecy is a word from the Lord through a member of his body inspired by his spirit and given to build up the rest of the body. Isn't that great? So so it's a word that comes uh, from the Lord through a member of the church inspired by the Holy Spirit to build up the rest of the body. It's entirely God and church centred. There's nothing to do with position or authority or power or or fame or self-glorification in it. It's a way of serving the church. And this is in line with what we see what Paul is talking about here in this passage. His emphasis is on the church being built up over and over again. He says that the church may be built up. He uses this this, this word built up. It's actually an architectural word. It literally means to be built up. Encouraged, strengthened. And because it's for the good of the church, it's something that we should desire. Because if we are living in the way of love, then we want our brothers and sisters to be encouraged and strengthened, don't we? If we love, if we love each other, like we've been taught to do in the way of love in chapter 13, then we want our brothers and sisters, we want one another to be encouraged and built up. And this is God's good, good gift to us. And the other thing to note about prophecy is that it's based in the authority of Scripture, okay? So that means that godly words of prophecy will be in line with the Bible in both how they're delivered and what they contain. Okay, so let me give you an example. If I come up to you in the street, right, remember when we were allowed to meet each other in the street? Remember what that was like, shaking hands and hugging and all? That was great. Um, If I come up to you in the street and I say, God told me you have to give me all your money. Well, you should say, no, get away from me, you crazy person. Go home and repent and read your Bible and figure out what prophecy actually is. Because that's not in line with with how the the Bible speaks of prophecy. Neither what it says, nor how it's delivered. Prophecy is delivered in the gathered church. That's what we see here. And the word said should be in line with what the Bible teaches. It should be encouraging and building up and strengthening. So if someone gives you a word of prophecy that is tearing you down or, or revealing all your sins or something, then that's not a word of prophecy because that doesn't build you up and encourage you and strengthen you. And we know it's based on scripture because God is never going to say anything uh, through prophecy that he hasn't said in the Bible. God doesn't contradict himself. And the Bible is God's complete and true, inerrant word to us. That means it has no mistakes in it. And it speaks to us today. And prophecy works in line with the Bible as the Holy Spirit works through his people. And, and I love this because it's almost like it's almost like the Holy Spirit used this gift of prophecy in line with Scripture to apply Scripture to specific circumstances in a way and at a time that make us sit up and listen. And maybe you've experienced something like this. I'll speak from my own experience for a second. Um, a couple of years ago, I had someone speak to me in this kind of way. I was struggling with a particular issue in my walk with Jesus and 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 this person didn't know what was on my mind, they didn't know what was going on. It was during a worship time and they came to me and spoke specifically into that situation. They even quoted scripture in there. And 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 what God did in that moment was illuminated that issue in my heart, encouraged me and strengthened me. You see, God gave that person a special insight into a specific situation that he used to build up the church. And when the gift of prophecy is used in this way, it's a beautiful thing. It's so encouraging. It's good for the church. We need this kind of thing. We should all desire this kind of thing. David Pryor, who's a commentator on, on Corinthians, he says that we should, that we, as in the church, should expect special insight to be given by God to any sensitive and obedient believer. Insight into God's will for a specific situation or into into the application of God's word to the time in which we live. And how much do we need that right now? We're, we're confused. We don't know what's going on. How much more do we need God's insight and will? into specific times that we we live in? How much more do we need the application of God's word to these times that we live in? And so if you have that gift, let's practice it. So how do we desire them? What does that mean? Paul says desire. He wants them to, to desire prophecy. Well, the last thing I want to say about prophecy for now is that if prophecy is based in scripture, both in how it's delivered and what it says, then the best way to, des- to desire prophecy is just to immerse ourselves in God's word. Now, not all of us are given the gift of prophecy, but we should all desire it. By spending time with God, listening to what he's saying uh, to us through his word, getting in the habit of training our ears to hear what our father has sent to us. When I was a teenager, I worked on a farm uh, and they had a dog called Meg. She was a working dog. Um, and when the farmer gave her commands, she just instinctively obeyed but if I gave her the exact same commands with exact same words she wouldn't move because she was trained to know and trust and obey her master's voice. She knew what was the voice of authority and and which one wasn't and just like that we need to train ourselves to hear our master's voice by spending time with him, listening to him, speak to us through his word and when we desire prophecy in this way, when we're spending time with God in his word, we're not just learning to hear a master's voice, but here's what else is happened. We're actually gaining language for God to speak to others through us. Isn't that great? If prophecy is about the application of God's word to specific situations and specific times in the church, then the more time we spend in the word, the more language we will have for God to speak through us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And that's what we're to desire to desire. God speaking to His church through its members, so that we are encouraged and built up. So that's prophecy. What about tongues then? And this is the one that everyone maybe finds a, even a bit more weird, right? Well, let me just try and uh, make this as simple as possible. There are two types of tongues that I see in the Bible. The first one is, maybe you've heard of something like this happening. The first one is when someone doesn't know a language and is supernaturally given that language so that others might hear in their own language and come to faith in Jesus. That's what we see in Acts 2. So on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preaches in his language and all these other people from all these other different places hear that in their own languages and receive Jesus and get saved, 3,000 of them in one day. And this still happens. Maybe we've heard stories of missionaries doing this kind of thing. But that's not the only kind of tongues we see in the Bible. The other kind of tongues we see in the Bible is, is what you might have heard called a prayer language, okay? Um, it's not any human language. It's something completely different. We see that uh, Paul's already spoke about the, the tongues of men and of angels in 13 verse 1. And I think this way of thinking about it as a prayer language is helpful. Because uh, Paul also talks about this in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 8, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So it seems that this other kind of, of tongues is some kind of prayer language and, and this is how I've experienced it. Um, I'll just share the story with you. A few years ago, a good few years ago now, um, I, I just had heard that a, parent, a friend of mine's parents had died suddenly and I, and I just was praying. I just knelt down and prayed for him and I was praying and praying and praying and my heart was broken for him and, and I remember eventually praying and I, I just said, Lord, I, I don't, I don't know what to pray anymore but my heart doesn't want to stop praying and in that moment I just began to pray in tongues and I can't explain it, I don't understand it, I don't know what I was saying, all I knew that was I was overcome with grief for this guy and I, I just was longing so much for God to comfort him and intervene in any way and and sometimes I still pray in tongues in this way for situations and other people and sometimes I worship and praise God in tongues in this way and that's what we see in this this passage as well that we we sing and give thanksgiving in tongues to people who have that gift and the best way I can describe it and I've heard others describe it this way as well is it's about intimacy with God when words seem to fail that that's the the best way I can describe it it's about this intimacy with God when words seem to fail and I think that's what we see in this passage too. You see in, in verse 14, Paul says that when he prays in tongues, his spirit prays, but his mind doesn't know what he's praying. And so I think that from this passage, what we can say about the gift of tongues is that it is your, someone's spirit speaking to God in an intimate way. And that's a good way of thinking about it. But we need to remember, like every gift, not everyone gets given this. And it's up to God how he distributes the gifts. So let's bear that in mind. But the other thing we need to take notice of in, in this passage is that this kind of tongue is, is a Christian speaking to God. okay? And if our goal is building up the church, then this gift needs to be used wisely. And that's why Paul's teaching on tongues comes with so many warnings. This, this is almost all the teaching we have on tongues in the Bible. And it's, it's basically a rebuke. Because it needs to be used carefully. If people are going to speak in tongues in the public gathering, then it shouldn't happen very often. And it should always be interpreted, it says in verse 27. God is a God of order. He brings order out of chaos and, and so our worship should be orderly too. We can't just descend into madness and have everybody walking around you know, speaking in tongues. That's why he finishes this section of verse 40 by saying, all things should be done decently and in order. Because God is a God of order. He's the one who moved over the chaos by his spirit and spoke the world into being, Order of chaos. And so if there are tongues being used publicly in that way, they, they, it shouldn't happen very often, and they should be interpreted. But this idea of interpretation, I think, needs some explaining. And here's why. Because maybe like me for a long time, you thought that, or you think that uh, speaking in tongues is some kind of way of God giving some uh, mysterious or hidden message that comes down from heaven uh, to the church. But I don't think that's true. You see, our passage makes it clear that tongues are a Christian speaking to God. We see that in verse two, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. And so this is not some secret message from God to his church that's downloaded and needs, uh, you know, decoded or something. Tongues are the prayers and thanksgivings and songs of a Christian to God. And, and Paul says in verse 16 that this is why they need, the reason they need interpreted is so that everyone in the church can add their amen to that thanksgiving, their amen to that prayer, their amen to that song. It's about unity. It's about building up the church. And like all of the gifts, if you're not using it in that way, you're using it wrong. By the way, can I just, can I just have just a note on that? I want to say that um, this passage talks about misusing your gifts. And I would say if you don't use your gift or or you, don't, or you misuse your gift, I don't think you're going to lose your gift. But I think the church is going to miss out on you using your gift. I think that's the danger. And this idea of unity and building up a church, that's key to our understanding of the spiritual gifts, of all the spiritual gifts. They're about building up the church so that God will be worshipped. Over and over and over again in these chapters, this is the message that Paul is driving home. And verse 12 is really the key to unlocking this whole section. Paul says, Since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. In other words, if you really want to see and experience that God is present, strive to build up the church. The gifts, even prophecy and tongues, are for building up the church. Now remember what we said, the spiritual gifts are the tools, of, the tools that God gives to his people to equip them to love his people. So as we pursue love and, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, we need to use our spiritual gifts in ways that build up the church so that God is worshipped. We, we need to use our spiritual gifts in ways that build up the church so that God is worshipped. That's our ultimate goal. So how do we get there? How do we do this? Well, I want to finish our time with four quick lessons from the rest of our passage. If we want to use our gifts to build up the church, we need to desire the good of the church. We see this in verses 1 to 5. Desire the good of the church. Paul's overwhelming desire is for unity in the church. It's one of the main themes in the whole letter to the Corinthians. Even in chapters 12 to 14, here about the spiritual gifts, his main thrust is unity. Unity. Pursue love, he says, and desire the gifts that most benefit the whole church. It's just so easy for us to think of ourselves as individuals, isn't it? It's the way of our culture. It's kind of ingrained into us. We almost don't notice because it's just the way that we are. Even when we think about our own roles as part of God's people, we tend to think of of what I get out of a church service or, or how the church benefits me. But this isn't the way of love. We are to consider the good of each other. We are to think more about what we can contribute and how we can serve others rather than what we receive. This is why Paul thinks they would be better pursuing prophecy rather than tongues. Because as he says in verse 2, tongues, uh, uninterpreted tongues don't benefit the whole church but prophecy does. Desire the gifts that benefit the whole church. Desire the good of the church. And listen, it's easy to be tempted in this situation right now that we can afford to be a wee bit self-absorbed, right? Um, I mean, it's easy to just turn on our laptops, tune in for a sermon, and that's us sorted. There's no more responsibilities for the church. But, but just because we can't meet together physically doesn't mean that we aren't together spiritually. Even in these times of social distancing, The church is still the body of Christ and you are still part of that body. And so the goal of building up the body is the same, even if how we do that looks differently right now. In verse 3, Paul says that prophecy is good because it does three things. Firstly, it builds up, it strengthens, it develops us as we are the living stones being built up into the house of God. It also encourages, and, the, and the, this word encourages is, the, is, the, is one of the words that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. It's a coming alongside, it's a supporting one another and assisting one another. And then he talks about consolation, that, that prophecy consoles. It's, this is about allaying fear and enabling God's people to remain calm. It's about calming our fears and our anxieties so that we can just rest in Jesus Oh man, don't we need that right now? Don't we need all three of these things? Don't we need to come alongside each other? Don't we need to console each other and allay each other's fears? Don't we need to lead each other to, to rest in Jesus? Yes, we can't be together face to face, but we must still use our gifts for the good of the church. So, So can I get you to think about this? Ask yourself this question. Pray about this question. How can you this week use the ways God has gifted you to strengthen your brothers and sisters, to come alongside them, and to calm their fears? Secondly then, if we want to use our gifts to build up the church, we need to consider others, not just ourselves. This is what we see in uh, verses 6 to 13 of our passage. Paul uses three examples here to show how if tongues isn't used in consideration of others, it just causes confusion. And he and he talks about musical instruments, he talks about he, he talks about the bugle, calling people to war, and he talks about this idea of people speaking foreign languages. Like you know that thing that British and Irish people do when they go on holiday, and if someone doesn't understand you, all you do is talk loudly and slowly, and hopefully they'll somehow magically understand. But unless you have the same gift that Peter was given in that chapter two, I don't think that's gonna work. Um, it just creates confusion, and it's the same for all the gifts, right? We need to use them in consideration of others, not just ourselves. If you're a gifted teacher and all you do is study the Bible and gain insights and keep them to yourself, that's not building up the church. If you're a gifted, uh, if you're gifted in prayer and all you do is pray for yourself night and day that God protect you from coronavirus, that's not building up the church. No. Let's, let's be encouraged by the words of Paul. Let's use the instruments God has gifted you to play and play music that blesses the whole church. We're not foreigners to one another. We are family. And we all need to consider each other. Some of us are living on our own right now and, won't, and haven't seen people all week and won't see people for weeks. Give them a FaceTime. Give them a call. Encourage each other. Get alongside each other. Build each other up. Use your gifts to serve the church in this time of loneliness and anxiety and fear. Like Paul says in verse 12, if you want to see the evidence that God is present in the church, stop being a spectator and get involved in the game. All of us have an active role to play in the church. So be considerate of others and not just ourselves. Thirdly then, if we want to use our gifts to build up the church, we need to engage our minds, not just our spirits. And we see this in verses 14 to 12. 14 to 20, sorry. One of Paul's main warnings about speaking in tongues is that it engages your spirit but not your mind. And now Paul's not against tongues. Remember, he, in verse 18, he's thankful that he speaks tongues, he speaks in tongues more than any of the Corinthians. But he is against the misuse of it, like he's against the misuse of all, all of the gifts, You see, the Corinthians lived in a superstitious time when all kinds of pagan worship happened. And you would have had these priests and priestesses who worked themselves up into a frenzy or into a trance. And and this is when they would come up with these oracles and words and so on. And the goal was to transcend the mind so you could reach the spiritual realm. And this is the very thing that Paul warns against. He wants our minds and our spirits to be engaged. In verse 20, he he tells us to be mature in our thinking. You see, the Christian faith is a thinking faith. You see, the world world wants to tell us that we're just blindly following some dead religion. That that we don't have anything intellectual to offer the world. That it's just a crutch for people who are weak-minded. But this is not true. Christianity is a thinking faith. Take every thought captive, 2 Corinthians 10 tells us. And man, do we ever need that right now. We're constantly bombarded with information and news and social media and, and family WhatsApp groups and, and all, all kinds of things. And we hear so many pieces of conflict and information on this thing, this pandemic, that it's hard to tell what's true and what's not true. But here's the antidote. Engage your mind. Pray about what you hear in the news. Ask the Lord what the right response is. Don't just believe everything you, you hear from your family on your WhatsApp group. Spend time in God's word and allow your mind to be filled with his truth. Allow your mind to be transformed to see the world in the way God sees it. Not just in fear and despair. And as you do that, we can build the church up together. Speaking truth to one another. Praying for one another. Helping each other sharpen our minds and engage our minds. Building up the church. And fourthly then. If we want to use our gifts to build up the church, we need to be mindful of non-believers. This is the last part here in verses 21 to 25. I sometimes wonder what non-believers think when they come to our gatherings. Um, and if you're, maybe you're not a Christian this morning, you tuned in, you're very welcome and we're glad you're, you're joining us. Um, because yes, the, the, the church gathering is primarily for Christians, right? The gathering doesn't exist without Christians but we need to be sensitive to those who are searching. One translation uses the word inquirers. I love that. I love that as we meet together and worshiping, are we doing so in a way that is welcoming and that is inviting to inquirers? Or do those people feel that they have no place in Christianity at all and so just walk away? Are they so discouraged by what they see and experience that they just say, there is no way that this is for me? And right now, in this moment, in our culture, people are inquiring more than ever. I even heard one politician say this week, she said that that people are are starting to ask questions about their mortality. This is a secular politician saying this. And church, we have a vital role to play in this. If our gifts are used in the right way, when each person is playing their part, building up the church for the glory of Jesus, then the church becomes an inviting family, an inviting place to be. And if people come to our gathering or join us for missional community dinners or or interact with us online, uh, digitally or wherever, they, and they notice how we love each other, we can easily explain to them that they ex- are experiencing the love of Jesus. And in the case of prophecy, used in the right way, non-believers are convicted of their sin and fall down and worship God. That's what we see in the passage. This is the result of When we use our gifts in the right way. When when our spiritual gifts are used in ways that benefit the church. The result is that the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed loudly and clearly. And this is the goal of the church. This is our encouragement today church. No matter what is going on around us in the world. Even if this thing gets worse. One day the glory Of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And the church, us, you and I, we are the tool that God is using to spread His kingdom until His glory does cover the earth. And brothers and sisters, that's what you're part of. That's what we're part of. That's our encouragement this morning. You may be sitting in your house alone this morning, but you are not alone. If you're in Jesus, you're part of our family. We are the body of Christ and he has generously not just saved us, not just given us a place in heaven, but equipped us with these spiritual gifts to live here on earth and to spread his glory and to spread his kingdom until he returns. Isn't that amazing? Take courage, dear heart. We are the body of Christ and Christ is the head of our body. He's both our redeemer and our example. He, he both makes us part of the family and then empowers us to live as part of the family. You see, here's what I was thinking about this week. Jesus could have stayed in heaven, couldn't he? He could have just enjoyed that eternal and perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit uh, forever. He could have just gone uh, all eternity, speaking that language of heaven that we could never understand, never given us a second thought. But he didn't. He adapted to our language so that we could understand and receive him. God, the unknowable, stooped to our level and made himself known to us for our good. God made his love unmistakably clear to us by sending his only son to die on a cross. So that that you and I can be free from the power of sin. So that you and I don't have to live in fear regardless of what's going on in the world around us. So that when we're stuck in our houses and we can't get out to see each other, so that our hope is in something more secure than the shops being open or being able to meet together as a church. Our hope is in the, the, the unending, never shaking faith or love of Jesus. And that, and, and as we use our gifts to serve the church and encourage each other, we learn to, to, to rely on that hope even more. We learn to set our minds on heavenly things. And, and here's the, the crucial part of this, is that, that as we use our gifts uh, to build up the body so that God is worshipped, we are actually making this sacrificial act of Jesus' death clear to each other and to those around us. And, and that's... What church is all about and and that's what god has called us to that's what he's called you to that's what he's called me to that's what he's called us all to so let's seek these spiritual gifts and and what we're going to do now is we're going to take communion together (laughs) even though we're apart so i hope you've got your bread and your wine or your juice or whatever you're using there in your living room and uh, we're going to take it because we are together in spirit and as we do so uh, we're going to remember that sacrifice of Jesus. But, but, but particularly this morning, as we, as we break the bread and, and drink the wine, I want us to remember this one thing. That that blood, the blood that that wine represents, is the covenant in his blood. That means that's that covenant that assures us that he will never leave us or forsake us like we saw from Psalm 46 in our call to worship, that even if the mountains crumble into the sea, that God is still our fortress, that God is still the Almighty, and he will never leave us because he's paid for that with the blood of Jesus. So James is going to lead us in another song and and do sing along, and as you do so, take communion uh, together. Let's do that together. We are together in one spirit. We are the body of Christ, and he will never leave us or forsake us. Let me pray.